You're listening to Liberty USA, sponsored by County Citizens Defending Freedom. You as an American have freedom in your DNA, and we are here to help educate, empower, and encourage you to stand for your freedom. Hello, County Citizens. Today I have Jonathan Houlihan in the studio with us. He's our attorney in Texas. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So where are you from in Texas? I'm from Montgomery County, Texas, which is a a county north of Harris County, Houston, about 45 miles. Mm -hmm. And what type of law do you practice? Uh, So I've been, I was a Navy JAG for 13 years on active duty. So I was, uh, if anybody knows what that is, Mm -hmm. your governor, Ron DeSantis, did. We were Mm -hmm. lieutenants together. National security law. I was a litigator. Really international law, operational law uh, at the time on active duty. Uh, did a lot of cybersecurity. Since leaving active duty, I've, I've worked at a business litigation firm, uh, practicing normal civil litigation, but uh, also cybersecurity, and got into uh, what uh, Jeff Childers calls the Freedom Wars, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with a lot of these vaccine mandates, mass mandates, uh, representing uh, s- some of the doctors that prescribed uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Um, and and really getting involved with that with the licensing side and making sure that they could uh, continue to treat people. So really have run the gambit in my legal career mm-hmm. in 15 years, uh, done a lot of interesting things. Wow. And you also ran for Congress, correct? I did. I ran for Congress uh, in Texas, Congressional mm-hmm. District 8 in the last cycle. Uh, our primary was March 1st. So obviously unsuccessful, but uh, we did really well, gave it a great run, uh, had a lot of grassroots support um, and came up short. Uh, I was going against someone with a pretty famous name, uh, where his brother, uh, the lone survivor's brother, Morgan Luttrell. So he was successful. Uh, wish him, wish him luck in the future. So uh, it was, it was. I learned a lot about how things actually work uh, mm-hmm. running for Congress. What made you want to run for Congress? I, I mean, it's the same reason folks want to get involved. I mean, our, we're losing mm-hmm. our country. I mean, we're losing. We're so far from what the founders envisioned. I mean, we're a country based on laws. We're a country based on individual liberty and limited government. Um, And we're so far askew from those things. Uh, I wanted to get involved and see if I could do something about it. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was a fair election? I think the processes that we have in Texas need to be reformed uh, in in a lot of states. Um, First of all, we have an open primary. Um, I, I used to not really know a lot about open primaries, but in Texas, we have evidence that uh, a lot of Democrats cross over and vote Republican. And that's fine. That's people's right. But I think in Texas, they were operationalized. They were uh, told who to vote for on the Republican primary. They're allowed to go in and vote for the least conservative person um, when they're when they're told to go vote for them. And that helps the, the rhino establishment candidates. So the most conservative constitutional conservatives don't rise to the top uh, in that situation when we have an open primary system. Mm-hmm. Florida has a closed primary system. Mm-hmm. So you guys in Florida are doing really well. I mean, you're able to elect true conservatives that are getting things done. Uh, and in Texas, we just have this squishy middle ground where Democrats can come in our elections and, and really influence them. And the reason I know that is we were running polls and you know I was polling at 15%. Morgan Luttrell was polling at 28%, and that was the last week. Now, polls aren't always accurate, but we were polling R plus fours, um, you know, people that have voted in the last four primaries. We were polling those people that are going to vote, uh, and our poll numbers were pretty accurate. Well, I was still around 15%, but Morgan Luttrell got 52%, 24 points. 
So a lot of Democrats, I think, in that race crossed over. I don't know if it would have made a difference in my race, but same thing with Governor Abbott, same thing with the statewide races. The polls were so inaccurate. A lot of evidence of Democrats crossing over and voting in the, on the Republican primary. So that's a problem. Uh, if you're in a board of directors, you're not going to let a board uh, director on your board that has an adverse, uh, you know, some kind of adverse claim to your to your board or your right. company, and they're going to do damage to your board. You only want people on your board that are going to look out for the best interests of the company. So uh, I think that causes problems. I think having a, a primary March 1st is one of the earliest in the country that doesn't help grassroots candidates it doesn't help candidates that are not already in the system that don't have mega donors so it's really hard to get your name id up when the congressional districts in this circumstance this uh, redistricting year were drawn in 2000 it was a uh, december i think they were finalized or maybe a little earlier and then the filing deadline was uh, december 20th so we only had a few months to campaign in the actual congressional districts that we knew that were finalized so mm-hmm. That doesn't benefit somebody that doesn't doesn't have three or four million dollars. I know my opponents spent, I mean, almost two and a half, three million dollars in a oh, wow. in a primary. So it's hard to compete with that. Mm-hmm. So to get to your get to your question, was it fair? Uh, was it free and fair? There's always going to be some questions and shenanigans, uh, but I think the processes can be improved to give we the people a better selection. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Now, being in Texas, have you been to the border? Yes, I've been to the uh, border several times. I've been to Roma, I've been to Eagle Pass, I've been to the Valley. Uh, It's out of control. So can you explain to us what you saw? Uh, I saw chaos. I saw it was like a war zone. I saw um, a complete failure of the federal government and the state government to assert rule of law on our southern border. I saw human misery. I saw uh, mass human smuggling coming across our border with nobody stopping them at any point so to be clear is it when we say we have an open border does that mean that there's like an invisible line in a piece of land that's like this is the u.s this is mexico and and people can just walk back and forth well yeah in a lot of places it's mm-hmm. uh really the rio grande river is mm-hmm. the border it's the southern border it's been established since you know 1848 in the treaty of guadalupe Hidalgo. Uh, that's basically been the border and there's a lot of low spots where they can just walk across. So there is fencing, there is barriers, but the, the main thing is it's just we don't control the ports of entry. I mean, on the on the Mexican side, I mean, those are not controlled by the Mexican government. For the most part, they're controlled by the cartels. So they dictate that immigration flow, whether people are coming in legally, lawfully, or with a visa. Um, so they're, they're almost forced to use these smuggling networks and to come in in mass using they're smuggling cartel, the cartel coyotes, uh, to come across. So they pick low spots, they smuggle them in on vehicles and they come in in mass. Now, let me ask you, what's the point of having a coyote and to smuggle if we do have open borders? Um, well, it, it gets them not just from across that point of entry, but they have safe houses along the way. They pay them, they, cl- they feed them. Uh, they, they're not just coming from Mexico. I mean, they're coming from all over. They're coming from Haiti. We saw they're coming from, uh, Russia, from Ukraine, they're coming from China, they're coming from Iran, they're coming from all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're using those smuggling networks. Those same lines of effort they use for smuggling human beings are the same lines of effort they use for fentanyl, uh, for weapons, drugs, all sorts of things. It's, just, it's an open border. And, and when I talk about invasion, it's not just an invasion of people. I mean, it's an invasion of, of drugs and fentanyl. I mean, 
we have a crisis in this country of drug overdoses of, of people 18 to 35. I mean, we had the highest, more people died from fentanyl overdose last year uh, in that age group than they did of COVID. So everything that happens with COVID, everybody freaks out and, you know, you lose your job, take the jab, but then we just have an open border where fentanyl can come in and, and kill our nation's youth and, and destroy lives. So that's an invasion. A, a lot of these cartels are narco-terrorist organizations. Uh, they should be designated as such, and uh, that's, we, we, need to, we need to fix the southern border. When you were at the border, I know it was dangerous, but what was your expectation of what the border would be like, and then what was the reality when you got there? I mean, my expectation was there would be some semblance of rule of law and order. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I've been to Afghanistan. I've been to Iraq. I've, I've been to the Syrian border. I've been to some pretty hairy places, um, and it reminded me of that. Really? I mean, it reminded me of complete breakdown, uh, and it's not what a nation of laws should look like. Just complete chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was embarrassed for our country, frankly, that we have lost uh, our sovereignty at our southern border, and then we can't even defend our our nation's uh, southern border. I thought it was a it's a very it was a very sad situation to see. So you're saying that not only are people coming over, but there's huge amounts of drugs and and even human trafficking that's going on. Oh yeah, I mean the numbers. I don't have the stats in front of me, but just look at the numbers. Yeah, they're off the charts, completely off the charts. I mean, there's a reason that we have all these overdoses in this country of opioids. Mm-hmm. China, uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party, and this is all open source. You can look this up. I'm not just making this up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they developed the chemicals for the fentanyl, and then they shipped them to Mexico, and they create the fentanyl with the cartels, and then they ship it across the border. So that it, they're in a, if you read, read the book, Unconventional Warfare, uh, China wrote this book several years ago. A, 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 lieutenant, a colonel in the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army wrote about total war against the United States. That's how we win, through drug wars. And we take over all their facets of national authority using you know, the media, their university systems, the military, science, their science, their uh, all facets of uh, American society. That's how they, they think they're going to take over the United States through unconventional warfare. Part of that was a drug strategy to mm-hmm. destroy our nation's, nation, uh, nation's youth. So I think those things are related. Um, but, I mean, it, it's a fact that fentanyl's come across the border at record numbers. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that bracelet you have in front of you? Yeah, so I was in Roma. Roma is uh, one of the most hotly contested areas of cartel activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and these bands are used, I have several more, I don't know what I do with them, but Legatus means arrivals. So these bands are used by the cartels as like a complex command and control and logistics operation. So it tracks not only the various uh, individuals coming across, but where they're from, you know, how much money they owe. They have, they probably have Excel spreadsheets, you know, this person is associated with this serial number. And then that's, that's how they move them. They move them like cattle. And that's how they keep up with the money and the financials. I mean, it's a, it's a business operation. So if you look on videos of, of people coming across, it depends on where they are. Like out in Eagle Pass in that area, they don't use these bands as much. But in, in the really hot area of cartel activity, they use these bands because it designates which cartel owns the people. So it's pretty sad to see. So what happens after, let's say a Coyote brings a group of people into the States, they have these bands. What happens after they're in the United States after crossing the border? Uh, well, a lot of times... 
Look, I don't know exactly what happens because I'm not there, but from what I've read and what I've been told by Border Patrol is uh, a lot of times these people that they owe money. So it's like a credit-based system. They may pay up front like a down payment, but once they get to the United States, they still owe money. So they have to pay money back to the cartels, and a lot of times they have family members or people they love back in their country of origin that until those debts are paid, they're at risk. So they still owe a debt to the cartels. And we're funding the cartels at the tune of, of millions and millions of dollars a day uh, to, to fund, you know, with our policy, our intentional border policy of open borders is funding the drug trade, the human trafficking trade, the sex trade across the board. Um, and Americans are being killed. I mean, we're putting the rights of the non-citizen above the rights of the citizen. There are things that can be done right now to shut down the border. I mean, the federal government has an obligation under the Constitution. Uh, it's called the Guarantee Clause. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution guarantees us a Republican form of government, but also guarantees the states uh, are free from invasion. That's not happening. The states have a right under the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, to reassert their authority to protect their borders and protect their people. Mm-hmm. So if the federal government's not going to do it, the states have to do it. And uh, that has historical precedent, and that's what it's got to take to retake our, our, our nation, retake our, our citizens' rights, our liberty. Um, it's not about where you're from or what color of skin you are. It's about reasserting our sovereignty and putting the rights of our citizens above the rights of non-citizens. Mm-hmm. It's not fair that American citizens work hard their whole life pay their taxes, build infrastructure for their community, schools, roads, hospitals. And then the federal government just shows up with a bus full of thousands of people and overrun the schools, overrun the infrastructure. Uh, and they're doing it intentionally. And then who knows about the thousands of people that didn't even make it on the way. It's, it's not humane. Um, it's un-American. It's, it's breaking down the rule of law. And uh, we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Earlier I asked you a question and you taught me something uh, that was new. But I asked you about when Trump was in office about the kids being in cages. Can you explain that situation here for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, that was it was actually a pretty humane policy where the the Trump administration and and it was never cages. They were holding facilities. uh, They were just overwhelmed with these family units. So Mm -hmm. when they would get in these situations where children were showing up uh, with with parents or alleged parents or adults, Mm -hmm. They were trying to figure out who these kids were, who they belonged to, did they belong to these family units. Uh, so by law, they had X amount of hours. I think it was 72 hours to determine that, make that determination. Uh, and, and then they had to reunite the family. So the Trump administration was attempting to protect children from human smuggling, sex trafficking, and make a determination of it. Was that actually their family? So when people show up at the border now with as a family unit with children, they just give them a notice to appear and they're on their way. So what that has done is it, it has incentivized the cartels and other people to have a, a child with them at all times. Cause then they can just get let loose mm-hmm. because the border patrol is not going to take a child and put them off on their own. They're going to keep them with that family. unit. So we've created our, again, our intentional policy has caused a situation where the cartels are, are buying children, taking children giving them the people to use as props mm-hmm. so they can make it across the border unimpeded and they don't get uh, detained in a way they would if they were just like single males or military age males or whatever. So the separation at the border was actually t- to protect the children. Yes. 
It was to protect the children. Now it was it was a no win situation, and, and cause how are you actually going to figure out who these people are? Right. No biometric enrollment, no identification. I mean, the more the more humane thing to do is completely shut down the border and not mm-hmm. let people come in, and then it cuts off that demand. If there's no demand, people can't get across the border. The cartels are not going to be able to smuggle them in that way in such an open right. fashion. I just can't help but think about all the poor little kids. Yeah, I mean, being dumped and I mean, you read a story, you read a story every day about somebody getting dropped over the wall or found in the desert. I mean, they'll find five year old girls wandering around by themselves. What about the ones that never made it Mm -hmm. that we don't know about? What about the ones that are stuck in the sex trade in a house in Mexico Mm -hmm. or just passed around? What about those? We don't talk about those victims. We don't even know who they are, but we, we, we have done that. We have created that misery. Um, it's just, if, if you really think about it, really, it really bothers you. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some steps that can be done to fix the border, but, uh, it's going to take bold leadership. It's going to take action. People need to stop. Pol- these, these people are politicians. They need to stop worrying about what the next poll is going to say or what their next position is. They need to take action mm-hmm. because we're losing our country. I mean, it's like Ben Franklin said, after the Constitutional Convention, what have you created, doctor? A republic if you can keep it. I mean, we're losing our nation. Um, when the rule of law breaks down, when laws don't matter, when politics is more important than leadership, um, we're, we're in a very scary situation for our children's future. Is there anything that we can do as the people to help our government realize that we have to close the border or does that look like us voting new people in? Yeah, I think, I mean, we, they've been talking about the border for 30 years and that nothing has been done. I think we have to demand, we, the people have to demand they shut down the border. Um, it really starts in Texas. I mean, you know, there's nothing you guys can do in Florida for the most part. Right. Well, let's take that back under the compacts clause of the constitution. I think States can band together and they've done that. And, send their state forces to the Texas border to help. Uh, I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take governors banding together, creating a state task force outside of the purview of the federal government. Uh, and they, there's historical precedent for all of this, mm-hmm. using their warlike authority under Article 1, Section 10, uh, Clause 3, to create the state uh, task force to close down the border and stop it. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, in the, in the 1950s when he was president, Completely shut down the border. Nobody talks about that. Completely shut it down, deported all illegal aliens, and the uh, activity across the border was down like 95%. It can be done. He appointed a former general that he worked with in the European theater that came to Texas and uh, worked with the Border Patrol, and they shut down the border. Is that the only president that has ever shut down the border? I uh, know there's been presidents throughout town. That's the most, the, the most recent one. They talk a big game. So Trump didn't shut down the border? Oh, well, yeah, he shut down the border. I'm talking about was physical presence. Okay, gotcha. So what Trump did was brilliant. He had the, the Remain in Mexico policy, mm-hmm. um, and he used, he used the laws on the books, and he negotiated with Mexico to keep people in Mexico because they were claiming asylum at the, at the you know, under international law. When you claim asylum, you're supposed to claim it under the, the first country past your country of origin. Trump used that to negotiate with Mexico to keep them in Mexico. So it was it was pretty good diplomacy uh, I, when I said that the only president recent president was a physical presence on the border because people say oh you can't have a wall you can't have national guard on the border well Eisenhower did it he did a pretty good job with it I see okay 
So there's a lot that can be done. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the jobs I had as an operational law, national security law JAG, I uh, worked in CENTCOM, Central, United States Central Command. You know, we worked in countries like Iraq, Iran. We didn't work in those all those countries, but we were responsible for those countries. One of my jobs was to help designate terrorists uh, under the foreign terrorist organization designation list. So if we designated a certain group, a terrorist group, we could target them uh, using obviously our, our operational authorities and, and terminate those threats. Uh, but we could also use that to under the DOJ's Department of Justice National Security Unit would prosecute people under material support to terrorism statutes because the evidence they needed was to show that person is a terrorist because he's affiliated with this group and we would designate them, we would nominate them, State Department would would, uh, designate them as foreign terrorist organizations. If we're doing that in overseas, and this is not a military thing, it's also the State Department, if we're designating groups as terrorists, because they're doing things overseas. Why aren't we doing that to the cartels? Mm-hmm. Why aren't the cartels designated as foreign terrorist organizations? Because they are. They're international narco-terrorist organizations. And then that would free up a lot of authorities, not only operational, south of the border, of course, to to eliminate those threats. But also, it would allow the U.S. Attorney's Office to prosecute all these folks for material support to terrorism. So those carry much larger penalties than anything under the uh, Title VIII, you know, br- you know, crossing the border. There are penalties. Those are all laws, but a, mater- a violation of 18 U.S.C. under the material sports statute would really have some teeth. Wow. So, so I just want to segue back. How did you get involved with CCDF to be our lead attorney in Texas? Um, I, uh, you know, after the election, I was trying to find my place, figure out what I was going to do next. I was going to go back to my law firm. And uh, just kind of finding my place and came across Steve Maxwell and came across uh, the organization. Somebody said, hey, you should really talk to these guys. Um, and it just kind of happened. It was a God thing, I think. Just put me in the right place at the right time. And I think about Congress. I'm like, how much would I actually have gotten done? Mm-hmm. You know, before I ran, I was like, oh, wow, we're going to build these coalitions. We're going to get all this stuff done for we the people. And, you know, we're, we're really going to make a difference. But as I saw the rot from Congress, as I saw the political favors, the endorsements, the pay for play people, members of Congress aren't going to get anything done. They're going to get buried. They're going to, the minute they try and stick their head up, they're going to get told what to do. No, you just sit up and shut up in color and you go raise money and we'll put you on a committee if you do a good job and you work your way up the chain of command. I mean, that's how it works in Congress. Um, that's not how it's supposed to be. So in Congress, how effective would I have actually been? I could have been a voice. I could have been like Chip Roy, I'm, I'm a person of action. I'm ready to get things done. So in the CCDF, I'm going to be able to enable. We're the, ready to get things yeah, done. I'm ready to get things done. I'm ready to take back our country uh, mm-hmm. one county at a time. So I'm very excited about the opportunity. I'm very excited to get uh, going in Texas. Uh, a lot of my folks that supported my campaign are involved now across various counties. So ready to go. Great. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you. Really enjoyed having uh, having the opportunity. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Liberty USA, sponsored by County Citizens Defending Freedom. Give us a like or drop a comment, follow us on social media, and share with your friends. If you liked what you heard, support our mission in empowering American citizens to defend their freedoms and liberty at the local level. 
Learn more and fund your freedom today by donating at ccdfusa.com. Remember, freedom is in your DNA.